I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. From the Financial Times, this is Hard Currency. The UK has got itself a weaker currency through the rather unconventional and self-imposed process of Brexit. Whether they want it is another matter. But how will other central banks that would dearly love currency depreciation respond? Will they regard sterling as a special case because of Brexit or will they trigger wider currency wars? I'm Roger Blitz and welcome once again to Hard Currency, the weekly podcast of the Financial Times on all things FX. The Bank of England may well want to get the pound lower to ease the pain of a slowdown in UK growth now that Brexit has triggered an outbreak of uncertainty about UK relations with its trading partners. So what level suits the Bank of England and how quickly would it want the fall to happen? With me in the studio is Stephen Englander, head of G10FX strategy at Citigroup. Steve, welcome. We're doing this podcast just in the slipstream of the Bank of England deciding to hold rates, which has pushed sterling considerably higher. Do you think the Bank of England is interested in getting sterling sort of reasonably low so they can start the process of economic recovery as fast as possible? I think they do. And I think that they also think that weaker sterling will give more incentive for foreigners to buy UK assets and help finance a current account deficit that isn't going away. You know, my guess is that if you told Carney that you could give him a magic wand and take Sterling up to 150, he would think you were daft. Do you think the strategy of cutting rates, and they're now moving on to the idea of leaving it till August rather than having gone this week, is that to buy time? Do they need to kind of see how the UK economy is performing? They need more data to make a call on this? Because ultimately what they're really saying is that we're going to do it. Uh, I'm surprised. I thought they were going to do 25 now and and signal that they were going to do non-rate measures in August. They're not going to get data that are really indicative of the state of the UK economy post the referendum, probably until September or October. And interestingly, the OECD a couple of days ago said that they weren't going to publish their leading indicators for the next couple of months, precisely because they thought they would be misleading indicators because of the lag between the reality of the economy and the data that the indicators are capturing. And inevitably, when that data does come, we will still see sterling go low. Do you have a feel about how far sterling will go? I'm in the 120 camp. I'm very skeptical that weak sterling is going to generate much of a trade impact. You know, sterling went up to 95 against the euro at some points, and you didn't see the UK really become the factory of Western Europe. And in general, I would say for G10 countries, weaker currency is a very poor tool with which to generate additional activity. And, you know, whether you're looking at Japan, where export volumes were pretty much dead flat, even though it depreciated 50%, European export volumes are up smalls, given their 25% depreciation. I doubt that depreciation is going to make the UK the sort of Mexico of Western Europe. The benefit to the UK economy is, exactly. is marginal, is it? Uh, and in real terms, yeah. And so the benefit for currency depreciation really is, what, amongst emerging market currencies? Is that where it really has an impact? 
Well, even there, you typically depreciate because there's something wrong with your economy, not because there's something right. There are very few EM or G10 economies that depreciate themselves into prosperity because the dimensions of trade are, are not just price. You know, they're multifaceted. And so the elasticities of demand are not nearly as high as finance ministers or treasury uh, secretaries would have you think. So to that extent, do you think that there is the prospect of currency wars around the place? Do you think that that has been put to bed? Well, I don't think currency wars are going to be touched off by sterling, because certainly the weakness of sterling reflects the likely weakness of the UK economy and the likely difficulty in funding the UK current account deficit. So yeah, I think other countries won't be that worried. What I am thinking is, is actually this, that you know, where you have central banks that are worried that they don't have any tools with which to stimulate the economy and that because of the impact on banks, QE or, or cutting rates into negative territory may backfire. One of the things that actually works for their banks is translation effects that you see UK banks, because of weakness of sterling, have been outperforming European banks. And so what they may do is say, look, we want to have the additional QE, we want long-term rates lower, but in order to sort of shield the banks from the earnings impact, you know, maybe a weaker currency and the accompanying translation effects will be the offset to that. You've been on a long tour around uh, various parts of the globe recently. What's the feeling, first of all, about Brexit and its impact? Is it a quarantine issue now? Or do they feel that the contagion effects are not really going to happen? I'll tell you, the, the, I started the day before the vote when nobody thought it was going to happen. Then the Friday and the Monday, there was a lot of concern, you know, almost panic in some circles. But basically, since the Tuesday following the vote, the view has been that it's largely a UK problem. And if anything, the market reaction reflects the fact that they think that the negative impact will be concentrated in the UK in terms of you know GDP being much weaker than would have been anticipated otherwise. Europe may be a secondary effect. But the expectation that the Bank of England is going to ease, the ECB probably eases, BOJ will be easing, the Fed's on hold. Investors are kind of saying this is pretty good for liquidity. We're not getting the bad impact of the shock, but we will get the liquidity benefit, which is, I think, part of the reason that emerging markets are getting so bid up and, and equity markets are getting bid up as well. So let me get this right. Are all those moves about weakening, are they happening on their own or are they part of the procession of, of weakening that Brexit has kicked off? I think that central banks don't have an inflation problem and they don't have an inflation worry. So they see a shock like Brexit. And, you know, whether you're the Bank of England or ECB, you see a necessity of easing, but that the funds that they throw into the market will not stay contained in the UK or Europe. They will go chase yield. And right now the yield is in EM or they'll chase equities, you know, on uh, other high beta assets. So the currency effects of easing around the world is going to be what do you think? I think it's working to the advantage of emerging markets right now, particularly emerging markets that aren't closely tied to China because there's some concerns there about the currency and the economy that are not closely tied to commodities and currencies that have low interest rates. Those are getting avoided. But if you're relatively diversified, high interest rate, not next to China, investors are fighting to buy these currencies. And as a consequence, it's not the good boys that are winning, you know, in the sense the, you know, stable economic management with low interest rates 
it's sort of the countries or the currencies where risk premium is the highest and the market is looking at the likely central bank response and saying it's not going to do anything for the economy, but it's darn sure going to, to get that risk premium down and that's what we're going to buy. Okay. Just looking around some parts, Japan and the BOJ, the yen has had a, a quite a strong uh, weakening in uh, in the last week. What is that the effect of, do you think? Is that Prime Minister Abe's victory? Is that the reinforcement of Abenomics? Or is that simply the scare post-Brexit um, being wiped out? I think it's mostly the first. Even before the Brexit vote, I had a day in Tokyo. And Japanese investors were very much engaged in the debate as to what the BOJ is going to do. And I think that Abe's you know, stronger-than-expected performance in, in the upper house election and it seems that there's a buzz in the market that, you know, whereas BOJ had lowballed and underperformed in terms of easing after January uh, in April and then in June, there seems to be this buzz in the market that, you know, the BOJ is back and will do something. We have to see what they actually do and when they do it. But I, I think over the last week or so, I've noticed European investors much more interested in the upside to dollar yen. Whereas when I started my trip in, in Asia, the more convinced investors were short dollar yen rather than long dollar yen. What are the European investors saying about the European Central Bank meeting next week? Almost nothing. <laughs> it, it, it hardly comes up in discussion. I, and I think realistically, even though that they're going to ease at some point yes. in response to Brexit, there's nothing critical enough right now for them to ease. And they also have to deal with their own banks yeah. where, you know, given how weak they are, it's unclear whether the benefit to demand from central bank cutting short and long-term rates would offset the damage to expected bank profits and, and to, to bank share prices. So I think they're going to take a while to examine this. If the world has moved on from Brexit, what are they moving towards? What is the, what is the next big potential risk moment out there? Is it still China or is the focus now much more on uh, U.S. elections? I think the proximate risk is, is actually the U.S. elections. Right. That I'd say what's in the market is that anything that looks like Trump has a chance would generate asset market weakness. The view being that if he's going to generate a trade war. And, you know, that would weaken equity prices and take other risky assets down with it. And it, it seems there's some small indications that maybe he's beginning to narrow the margin against Clinton. So I, I think the other risk that's out there is that the, the left wing of the Democratic Party is much more popular than Hillary Clinton. Right. And, and so if she gets elected, it could be that she is going to govern from a much more leftist agenda than anyone would expect knowing her own history and, and the statements that she made before the campaign began. So uh, we could end up with a Clinton win, but if it ends up with being a very anti-business yeah. type of agenda, again, asset markets would sell off. That said, there's also concern about China. It's off the radar screen because people have other other fish to fry. But you know, the clients I met in Asia thought, most of them thought that the Chinese growth was beginning to slow down, that the market had been distracted from paying attention to some of the debt situation. So that's the secondary risk that that kind of pops up to the, the front yes. burner and is back, back burner now. And, and you wrote that the payrolls data last week was a shock. But is the Fed on broadly the familiar path? Is there anything to, to shift the Fed's rate program? I don't think so. And let me say, I think that the world probably can deal better with one hike a year 
than <laughs> investors think right now. I, I think if we if we start debating two hikes or three, then it, the Fed hawkishness becomes an issue in asset markets. But I think they can deal with one. You know, from the Fed perspective, I, I think the numbers weren't terrible because if you look at it, the rest of the economic data that had a May or June reference month. May wasn't as bad as the payrolls. June wasn't as good as the payrolls. So the Fed is probably saying there's some aberration in the data. You average it to it's 150,000, not threatening to anybody. No reason that they should hike anytime soon. Okay. Finally, Steve, uh, the big picture, global growth is still low. The market is still cautious. We go into the summer, the, the deep parts of the summer, pretty much where we've been most of the year. Well, you know, I, I think that this is the first time that risk-off sentiment has generated an equity market and an asset market rally. Okay. And the reason is that investors are very reluctant to buy bonds with negative rates. And they're looking across the spectrum and saying, if I can get a stock that has a decent stable dividend, that's more bond-like than you know a, a European or a, a Japanese bond with, with negative interest rates. So as a consequence, the, you know the, the negative interest rates reflects concern about where these economies are going and where the global economy is going. But the shift out of these fixed income assets into bond-like equities makes it look as if there's risk appetite when I think it's actually reflecting the fact that there's just no appetite to buy assets where you, if the market is right, you lose. Yeah. Yep. My thanks to Stephen Englander of Citigroup. Please keep up to date with all the FX news on the FT by looking at ft.com forward slash markets. We'll be back for the next instalment of Hard Currency. We have an ECB meeting next week to ponder. But join us again next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Until then, goodbye.